Hey, welcome to episode number 225 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and as I record this, it is day number one of a new year, which will be my last time reference for some time. But if you've been following episode by episode, you know that we've taken a month-long pause to focus on the gospel stories of Christmas, and in this episode, we are back to the series we left, Paul's Letters from Prison. Now, if you skipped the Christmas pause, you know where we're at, you never left. But the everyone else, let me just give you a short reminder. Four of Paul's letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, are commonly referred to as the prison epistles, letters from prison, written most likely during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And I say most likely because there is some question, not that they were written in prison, they were definitely written from prison, but there's some question because Paul was in prison a lot. In fact, Clement of Rome, who was possibly ordained by the Apostle Peter, claimed in his book that Paul was in prison seven times. The New Testament only details three times, but either way, quite a bit, more than anyone would want to be. But for Paul, if you've read his letters, you know the prison was, like all suffering, was it's kind of a badge of courage. and In fact, read 2 Corinthians 11 later. Paul is trying to justify his place among the apostles, and he says, it's, it's because of my suffering. Nobody has suffered like me. He wears suffering as a, a badge of honor. Paul was sent to prison in Rome around AD 60. This is the time where Paul is believed to have written his four letters from prison. But for the moment, let's just simply say this. Paul went through some stuff. And some of that stuff was what he went through in prison. And his letters from prison offer us a unique perspective on life, a point of view, a unique turnaround, right? It was during that prison time that he would write these words to the church of Philippi. I think they're words that he lived by in prison. Philippians 1.21, for to me, Paul said, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, I have a purpose for living. My purpose is Christ. I have a great hope in dying. I know that I'm going to gain Christ. So we've already made our way through the book of Ephesians, one of my core passages of Scripture. And we've gone through the first two chapters of Philippians. Philippians is an amazing book on joy <laughs> written from a guy who's in prison. Literally unsure when his life might end execution. So listen along as we dive back into Philippians, and I read chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 from the New International Version. Let me tell you, again, (laughs) leading into a new year, man, Philippians 3 contains a prayer that we all ought to pray every day, and it's really simply, God, give me more Jesus. Make Jesus the number one treasure of my life. Here's what Paul writes, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, let me just stop for a moment and make sure you know this. When Paul says, who put no confidence in the flesh, he's not just talking about his his own strength, the skin of his life, the the flesh, human flesh. He's talking about all those things that we try to do to make ourselves worthy apart from God. Put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons, Paul says in verse 4, for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, 
As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. But now he says in verse 7, Whatever was gained to me back then, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them garbage, Paul said, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from trying to follow the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, just to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In his book titled The 100, astrophysicist Michael Hart asked an intriguing question. He said, who are the 100 most influential people in all of history? Of all the human beings who have ever lived, who has had the deepest impact on our lives today? Hart's list includes people like Freud, the originator of psychoanalysis, and Pasteur, the inventor of germs, or not the inventor of germs, but the discoverer of germs, the inventor of vaccinations, and a host of other leaders, philosophers, scientists, and religious figures. But Hart's book was provocative because he he had the nerve to rank those 100 world changers. He established the playoffs of human greatness. And where did Jesus land? Well, he made the list. He made the list. He said that Jesus was the inspiration for the most influential religion in all of history. Hart wrote, Jesus had an extraordinarily impressive personality. He ranked Jesus as the third most influential person in history, right after Muhammad and Isaac Newton, who ironically was a Christ follower. Now, before you get your religion in a twist, a few years ago, computer scientist Stephen Skeena and Google engineer Charles Ward devised a more objective process using algorithms, Google page rank, and Wikipedia page views to determine a new ranking, and Jesus ended up number one. But see, here's the deal. We, we believe that Jesus is more than just historically influential. We, we believe that he's cosmically foundational. We believe that Jesus is more than the past inspiration of a religious movement. He is the present king of all reality. In fact, Paul writes in Colossians 1, we'll read it in a, a few episodes, Colossians 1, 15 through 18, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Every kingdom and every king, all things created through him and for him and in him, all things hold together and everything he is preeminent. And that's really the most important question facing us in this episode. How do you rank Jesus? Not just in history. How does he rank in your heart? How does Jesus rank in your heart? See, we don't just come to the word of God so that we can become familiar with the ways of God. We come because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to the word to meet Jesus because there's none greater, no one greater than Jesus. This may come as a shock to you, but true Christianity is not simply an invitation to become a better person. It's not primarily a program for cultural revolution, reformation. It's, it's not a political party or just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an invitation to life. And this life at the very heart, it's all about Jesus. There's no one greater than Christ. Christ. 
Paul found this out. And in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, he writes, I'll say it again, but whatever gain to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. But I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Wow. Can you hear the passion in those words? Paul had one holy passion. He had one greater than obsession. One thought filled his mind all the time. And it wasn't the economy or the NFL draft. It wasn't bowl games. It wasn't a bigger house or a greater ministry. He wanted to know Jesus. Nothing greater than knowing Christ. And, and honestly, more than anything else, the goal of this podcast is, is that our hearts for Christ would grow to the point that our passion threatens to consume us. Jesus was Paul's passion. Christ was not just a good moral example for Paul. Jesus was not just the inspiration for a religious movement. Jesus was not just Paul's ticket to heaven. In fact, if you ask Paul, heaven without Jesus was not heaven at all. I love the way that John Piper puts all this into perspective. He says the critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Would a heaven without Christ satisfy and the gospel scream in compassionate horror, no, no, the, the glory of heaven is not found in the lack of tears, but in the presence of the one who wipes our tears away. The glory of heaven isn't that we have a room prepared for us, but that the one who prepared our rooms is present. No tears, no cancer, no war, no, no orphans, no drugs, no addiction is no thing. It's nothing without Jesus. Paul would not have wanted to go to a Christless heaven. In fact, he said, without Christ, all my garbage is gain. Without Christ, everything else is worthless. You know, the Greek word for garbage, or in some of your Bibles, it uses the word rubbish. The Greek word is skubalon. It literally means feces, crap. <laughs> the interpreters, I guess, didn't want to say that. <laughs> but really, Paul was saying, without Christ, all my gain is crap. It's not healthy to keep it in you or on you. <laughs> it's better to expel it from your body than to keep it in my gut. Paul confronts us with the reality that the price tags of our lives have been turned upside down. What we once thought was of great value is now worthless. And in fact, everything is worthless, worth less than knowing Jesus. Nothing in the world is worth more than knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything is worthless. Everything is worth less than knowing Jesus. Nothing in the world is worth more than knowing Jesus, gaining Christ, being found in Jesus Christ. Can I, can you, can we say the same thing? I mean, more than words, because we'll say it. I'll say it. But what does our life communicate? Do our lives say that nothing is more important than gaining Jesus? What would it look like in this next year if I actually lived as though nothing was more important to me than gaining Christ? And, and listen, you, you don't have to become a pastor. You don't have to be in vo vocational ministry, become a monk or a nun in order to value Christ above everything else. 
We, we need people in in business, in the marketplace, and in the arts. We need people in the university and government. We need stay-at-home moms and dads and daycare workers and, and engineers and IT and retired grandparents who value Christ more than everything. Paul's life called out everything is worth less than knowing Jesus. Anything that comes between Jesus and me, I'll throw it out in a second. No matter what it takes, I, I want to know Jesus. I, you know, I know my own lack in this area. My heart too often pursues other things. And, and you know what? Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are good things. But when they distract me from the one thing for which my heart was created, they become worthless things. Johnny Erickson Tata writes, just think, every promise God has ever made finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God doesn't just give us grace. He gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. If it's peace, it's only found in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Even life itself is found in the resurrection and the life. Christianity is not all that complicated. It's Jesus. Read Paul's letters, and it's difficult to miss. I mean, Paul had a gloriously gut-wrenching craving for Christ, a Christ craving. He couldn't get away from it. Jesus dominated his thoughts and filled his heart and, and motivated his actions. He wanted to know Christ, gain Christ, be found in Christ. Uh, some of you know this, but in these last few years, I, I keep reading old books on prayer and revival, studying the lives of sold-out Christ followers from years past like Ravenhill and Spurgeon and Tozier and Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot, Andrew Murray, Helen Rosevere. A lot of the new ones are really good, but I find that lately some of the writers of old say what they say with a fire that burns. I was reminded this week about Henry Skugel. Henry was a child prodigy. He, he attended the University of Aberdeen in Scotland at the age of 15. At 19, 19 he was appointed instructor of philosophy at the university. 24. 24, he was teaching in the most pre prestigious divinity school of his day. And in those days, divinity school was the top of the educational mountain for all people. But what attracted me to him was not his achievements, it was his hunger for God. Shortly before he died, at the age of 28, he wrote a book that has ignited hunger in the hearts of so many. It's called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. In part, it was an account of his own encounter with Christ. And he wrote stuff like this. He said, The soul of man hath in it a raging and inextinguishable thirst. Never doth a soul know what solid joy and substantial pleasure is till being weary of itself. It gives itself up to the author of its being. The most ravishing pleasures, the most solid and substantial delights we are capable of are those which arise from a well-placed affection. Does Christ have your heart? I'm asking you a deeper question. I'm asking you a, a deeper question than simply, what do you believe? I've talked to thousands of people who believe correct doctrine, but Jesus doesn't have their heart. This isn't a, always an easy thing, right? We understand that. Sometimes giving Jesus my heart is a battle. In her book, Living Sacrifice, Helen Rosevere writes, To love the Lord my God with all my soul will involve a spiritual cost. I'll have to give him my heart. I'll have to let him love through it whom and how he wills, even if this seems at times to break my heart. 
to the love of the Lord my God with all my soul will involve a volitional and emotional cost. I'll, I'll have to give him my will, my rights to decide and choose and all my relationships for him to guide and control even when I cannot understand his reasoning. I was convicted this week again as I look forward to a new year of the utterly simple reality that that he does not have my heart if he does not get my time. Ravenhill wrote, and I've quoted this so many times before, I believe that tonight, he said, I believe that tonight the world is going to hellfire because the church has lost Holy Ghost fire. It's as simple as that. Tell me how much time you spend alone with God. And I'll tell you how spiritual you are. Not how many meetings you go to, not how many gifts you have, not how many sermons you preach, not how much success you've had. Tell me what time you spend alone with God, and I'll tell you how spiritual you are. Paul had one holy passion. He had one greater than obsession. One thought filled his mind all the time, and it wasn't the Super Bowl. It wasn't the economy. He wanted to know Jesus. Nothing greater than knowing Jesus. His life was all about gaining a gloriously gut-wrenching craving for Christ. Listen to his words again in verses 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, garbage, crap in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. (laughs) As I read Paul's words, I can't help but think of another quote from Ravenhill. He wrote, One of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it, and then the rest of us will be embarrassed. Listen, this this passion, this fire for Christ is an individual thing. We all need community, but what I mean is that you and I are responsible for our passion. You are responsible for your burning heart. Paul didn't have Tim Keller, Matt Chandler to fire him up. Moses didn't pull out his Bethel worship playlist at the burning bush. Mary didn't need, didn't have a a miracle of healing to cause her heart to burn for Christ. The disciples didn't need to be pushed, prodded, or pulled. The fire was burning. Loneliness didn't damp it out. Prison didn't put it out. Long waiting didn't cause it to wane. Financial blessing didn't fan the flame and poverty couldn't hide it. Their hearts burned because they love Christ with all their hearts. Their hearts burned with the love of Christ for them and for others. They were hungry, passionately hungry for Jesus. We'll come back to this in the next episode, but for now, let me just pray for you. Oh, Father God, by your Spirit, would you give us a hunger for Christ? Would you give us the deep realization that there's nothing of greater value than Christ. And when we have Christ, we have everything. If we don't have Christ and we think we have everything, we actually have nothing. Would you help us to value and treasure Christ in these coming days in ways that we haven't before? God, I pray especially for myself and for every person listening that we would be a people who give Jesus our time. (laughs) Give Jesus our time. 
And as we give you our time, would you fill us with your grace? Would you overflow your love upon us? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.